Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over and start using it now. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ernest, listen up. When people all around the world first started going out protesting this summer, you'd hear it over and over. This time is different. But how? And who are the people trying to make it different? In Gimlet's new podcast, Resistance, host Saeed Tijan Thomas Jr. brings us stories from the front lines of the movement for black lives told by the generation fighting for the change. It's a show about people refusing to accept things as they are and how we can make sure this time really is different. Resistance is out now. Follow and listen for free on Spotify. What's up, y'all? It's the fourth quarter. It's a new month. And what better way to start it than to come and join us at EYL University? Yes, the fourth quarter is where star players make a name for themselves. So come and join the number one roster. EYL University is the biggest platform for business in the universe. We have over 70 past classes weekly classes we have a private investment group on facebook which gives you access to our movie club our book club we also have bi-weekly real estate calls with mg the mortgage guy and monthly financial advising calls with none other than yours truly (laughs) so head over to eyluniversity.com right now and enter promo code eyl for 40% off of our annual membership. That's right. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Head over. We'll see you on the other side. Let's do it.
My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Can you tell us the process of somebody wants to become a sports agent, right? Okay. What? How do you become a sports agent? Do you have to go to law school? You have to have a degree? You have to pass a test? Like, what do you have yeah. to do? Like, what are you studying in school? So the NFL requires that you have a post-secondary degree. The NBA, I think, is just an undergrad. Um, in baseball, I think, you just have to have a client, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. So depending on the sport, every, every, oh, okay. everything is determined by a player's association. So if oh. you want to be an agent, you have to go to the NFL PA and go do your research on that process. So what the NFL requires is you have a post-secondary degree. They don't really say what that post-secondary degree is. I knew I wanted to be an agent at an early age. A number of talked to a lot of different agents, um, was talking to them about their law degree, and a lot of them were saying, yeah, it's a great you know option for a fallback plan if I just want to be a lawyer, but it doesn't necessarily help me in this particular standardized contract. Um, the NFL is a standard, you know, there's 1,900 NFL players. They're standardized contracts. So you're really no sort of negotiating statistics than you are actual legal jargon. So I heard that and was like, cool, I'll just go get a master's in, actually at the time it was a master's in sports industry management for Georgetown. Um, and they had a number of NFLPA advisors that worked there. And I was like, man, that's a good connection. And it made sense. So that's why I ended up doing it. So it, the requirement for the NFL is undergrad and then post-secondary post degree. Whether that be a law degree or not, anything in that process. Okay, and then you, but then you have to um, so pass for the, the eight, test. Oh right? yeah, I'm sorry. That's just the qualifications in order uh, to take the test. Right, right. And then there's a there's a test you take, um, and you take it over two days. Well, not two days. The first day you go down there, they help you to kind of do an open go? book to Washington D.C. Okay. Mm. Um, so that's where the NFL PA is. Um, NFL Players Association is down on in, down down in D.C. Um, and while you're there, you go there the first day. It's kind of an open book. They try to kind of help you through it. But if you didn't know that stuff going in, you're not going to pass that exam the next day. Um, and the next day, it's a eight-hour exam. And then a couple months later, they tell you whether or not you passed the exam. So what's on? What's in the exam? Like what? What is understanding the contracts? Like Brandon was saying, or Brandon, Brandon was saying that you know you're not always you're never on a team. So you have to understand the in betweens of those things. So like the practice squad, what their salaries are, what the benefits are, what the guy's going to make, what's a standardized contract look like, um, what's the base salary for rookies, um, all those kind of things. And in addition to that, it's other contract legal jargon things that have gone on in the and like for example, in certain guys you have escalators based on certain play times. You have to understand the intricacies of a contract. And in addition to that, player benefits, because that's what you are as an agent. You're supposed to be a fiduciary responsibility for these players to be a player advocate for them. So that's what they try to jam into this one test. So e even like before Brandon had said that information, it was new to me. So your time at Georgetown, were there connections that you had that informed you about some of these things? Or was there like literature that you actually had to research to find out? So I had been reading the CBA since I told you I was 14. Oh, the collective bargaining the, agreement? Yeah, I, okay. I'm sorry. I used the term jargon, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the collective bargaining agreement, I had been reading that since I was 14. I was prepared for that test at 21. Oh, I wow. knew that test. Like, I literally felt like you I were, got You it. were reading collective bargaining agreement at 14? <laughs> yes. I was reading Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nah, I mean, literally, like, mom, I, mom I, when I determine that I want to do something, I'm just focused on that one thing. For the average person that may not be reading the collective bargaining at 14 years <laughs> okay, old. Okay, I mean, yeah. I, mean, yeah, they, I, they, they, I was they, definitely skimming. <laughs> for sure I had no I definitely was ready for that test because I remember writing a like yeah thesis on that like not thesis but like a report on it at like 21 and I was like oh yeah I got this test I'm ready for it so say a kid in college or even out of college mm -hmm. um, has a four year degree because that's what you need right a four year degree you have a four year degree and you want to be a sports agent mm -hmm. do they have 
Okay. They gotta go so to grad school too. Okay. You gotta go to grad school. Yes, yeah. yeah, so you gotta post secondary degree. So, so, I, so, so could that person have a degree in like sports management? Yes, yeah, sports management. So it, my degree is a master's in sports management, but we took business classes in addition to that, okay. and it has to. You, you can have a degree in anything. That the way that the rules are set up right now is that if you have a post-secondary degree in geography and anything, you can sit for the age in, in biology. Bio, it, doesn't matter. It, the rules state post-secondary degree. They don't say post-secondary degree in business. All right. They don't say law. They don't say an MBA. It says post-secondary. So where degree. do you get study material? Like how do you do? They have like Kaplan online study. Like how do you study for a test? So like that? at the time, there were some guys out there that were. That's what their business were. They were helping players. To, or not helping agents or prospective agents to study for the exams because they're not necessarily they're pretty complex terms but um i don't know if they're still out there now but the collective bargaining agreement you can google it's a pdf that comes right off the nflpa website it's not the most interesting read but you know you can get to the points where it's like oh there are good things there's like fun stuff to read like salaries and how those work and base salaries um and then you read about like po like poison pill which is something that Deion Sanders got put in his contract back in the day. So those kind of things are... What's that? It's basically a pill that basically required... There's something where Deion Sanders, um, if he had played a certain amount of snaps, they had to they had to give him an option for his contract. But they got rid of that. Which, which team gave him that? The, Dallas the, Cowboys at the time. Uh, I thought it was uh, that team from Washington. The Washington right? Redskins. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Dallas Cowboys. It was back in the 90s. 90s, yeah. Yeah, Eugene Parker, who was actually the, one of the first black agents out there to really be that guy. He was to Eugene Parker's agent, and I mean, he was Deion Sanders' agent, and he had Rod Woodson. He had a number of guys, and he was kind of like the oh, four, five, the four, our black agent in business, if that makes sense. All right, all right. So okay, so so now we know how to become an agent. Yes, right. Technically speaking, as mm -hmm. far as getting the test, it's not really that difficult. I mean, it's, it's not easy to pass the test. I'm assuming, but it's not hard to. You just got to take the test. You have to take the test, but it's like it was. I had been studying for a while, but I had, while I also took the Series 6 and 63, it was harder than that. And it was harder than I thought the 7 was going to be um, when I was studying for that. So those are those are pretty decent. Yeah. People fail. Like, there's some lawyers that fail all the time. Yeah. Um, I think they I think they had a pass rate this year of like 70%. So there are people that definitely fail. So I just don't want people to feel. Like it's easy. Yeah, uh, no. Yeah, you, you had a, a background in finance, though, as well, right? So this is what happened. I got. I went to Hampton University, graduated in 2009, ended mm -hmm. up doing a two-year program at Georgetown. The NFL had a lockout. They weren't certifying any new agents. So I had a, a decent amount of student loans, and I wanted to kind of keep them in deferment. So I ended up going to school part-time. Um, and while I was part-time, I had a bunch of free time. But I was actually in a course where a former NFL player came in and said 78% of NFL players are broke or have financial issues, financial direct, like, and have finance. That's the thing that stood out to me. I was like, man. So I ended up going to get a job in banking because I figured, hey, as a young agent, you know, I want to learn about finance. I want to learn about financial education and be able to help and understand my clients, not necessarily from a standpoint of being a financial advisor, but at least being able to say, I can sit at the table and say, hey, this is how you build a budget. This is how you do this. And, mm -hmm. you know, and th some of those things I do for some of my clients, some of them I don't. Mm -hmm. But at least I know that I'm at least I can tell you, hey, I know how finance works and. I yeah. can sit down with a financial advisor and then tell you, hey, listen, you might want to get away from that guy. Yeah, you saw where you were headed and said, you know what, I'm going to take every step necessary to make sure I'm the best at what I'm For doing. For sure. Not I mean, sell your fate, man. Yeah, no, nah, it's, it's, and, and it's crazy because I didn't, I didn't want to get a job in banking and I didn't really like, but that stable, as a young agent, like, you know, my first year I had, I think I had one guy, he didn't even get into the NFL, like he was on like a super regional combine, which is like guys that aren't out of the NFL. So like my second year I had a couple guys. 
Um, and I, the crazy part is I quit that bank so many times and my manager brought me back because <laughs> I just knew, like, I had signed a draft class of five guys. And I'm like, oh, they're good. None of them got drafted. They both went undrafted. Three of them never even made it into the NFL. Mm. And then two played for a couple years, but it wasn't enough to kind of really stand, like, you know, get you to the point where you're, you don't need to get a regular job. So it was a part-time situation. All right. All right, so now we're going to go into the next segment of, okay, now you got certified to be an agent. So now we want to know, all right, it's one thing to have, you know, the certification, but now you actually have to get clients and, and become an agent, right? Yeah, so yeah. now we'll talk about the business of actually building your business. All right, so now we're going to talk about building the business, getting clients, and actually, you know, starting from the, the ground and how you actually go about doing it, right? So you started your own your own firm, right? Yes. All right. How old were you into that? I was 25. No, yeah, 25, going on 26. All right, so you got your certificate, and as opposed to just going out and working for somebody, you you wanted to do your own thing at first. Yes. How did you? So, all right. So, can you talk about that? Like, how did you start the, the firm? Um. So I I was I always wanted to be kind of my own agent and work from my own side. Um. And learn. I felt like you learn a lot more being an independent an agent. Um. I said a lot of big firms. I heard some stories with some of my guys. Um. Where basically they kind of got you know, put in this one hole and, you know, depending upon how, who they signed and things of that nature, but they weren't given the same tools. So I always wanted to do my own thing. I want to start my own agency. Um, so I ended up, like I said, working in banking, that particular bank. Um, shout out to PNC and Karate South, my manager. She was amazing. Um, in that bank, I met my first client. I met my athlete advisor at the time. And in addition to that, my investor. I worked in a pretty wealthy neighborhood in Montgomery County in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally told every single body that was my thing that's my thing always like i've been passionate from 14 everyone i've ever met are like man like he wants to be a sports agent so like now people hit me up like yo you're really doing what you said you wanted to do because that's everything i told everyone and i think that's something that no matter what you want to do you never know you know who you might meet and run into and i wasn't one of those kids i wanted to do 17,000 things so it's like man i could help this kid but you know, he's focused on so many things. I focused on one thing. It was like, hey, I want to be a sports agent. And I told every person in that bank. And a guy ended up taking me out to dinner. Um, and we ended up just linking and really connecting. And he was like, man, I don't want any friends. But he said, you know, I really want to help you build your business. And it was literally a gift from God, bro. I can't, like, that's how I literally started my agency. Yeah, I mean, that's powerful. Because, like, we preach a lot um, about mentorship and yeah. how important it is. Because you could have went into this situation not knowing anything no. and you know you could have been discouraged by that but your encounter with this person changed your life but it also speaks to the, the fact of um a closed mouth doesn't get fed right for sure so y- blessings come your way when you open your mouth Absolutely. right and you actually say what you want a lot of times people don't say what they want yeah in business and relationships they kind of just hope that the person kind of catches the drift yeah mm-hmm. the easiest way to get what you want is to say what you want and ask for it they might say no. They might say yes, but at least you asked for it, right? For sure. You kind of beat around the bush, and you're scared to say something. You're just kind of hoping something falls out the sky. It's never going to happen. Yeah. So the fact that you was even vocal about it and putting that energy out there, you attracted it, I'm pretty sure, to you. Yeah. Right? I, you spoke some things into existence, and they appeared. Absolutely. I, it is. I literally talked to hundreds of people that came into that bank. You know, think has that back then it had a lot of foot traffic into the bank so literally people would come into the bank all the time so I would talk to literally everybody and where I was working at was like I said a wealthy neighborhood and you know I, I seen you know some guys that are making really good money and it was like man you know I really liked you and a lot of guys said no they're not interested or it was just like 
you know, it is what it is. But in addition to that, it's like having people in your corner that is willing to support you. Like my manager was like, she knew I was getting my, she knew I was doing well. Or she knew I was talking to people about sports, but she looked at that as my connection to the people. And in addition to that, she also knew that I wanted to be an agent. And then she knew that this was a stepping stone. So the people that are in positive in your life are also very important. All right. So, yeah. all right, so now you're an agent, you got your own company, you're up and running, right? Yes. How do you get clients? This is, this is stuff that's always been interesting to me, at least like, how do you get clients? So social media is you're always your friend. I mean, everyone is always on social media. So my first class, like I said, my first client literally walked into the bank. He had been kicked out of school. I helped him transfer, get into another school. Um, and he ended up playing in the NFL and still plays in the NFL to this day. You got him out when he was in college, you came in. So yeah, okay. but I mean, I wasn't, so as an agent, you can't pay for players. Like you can't do anything. I made connections to help him to yeah. try to, I basically was mentoring him through his process because he had just got kicked out of the University of Maryland okay. and ended up transferring to the University of Delaware. Um, and I just was, he was like my little brother, but I didn't like, I knew that I was an agent. So I knew that I was a by the book rule. Like I'm that guy. I'm mm -hmm. not going to do anything like that's going to jeopardize me long term. Yeah. So, but I helped him, I helped him navigate through that process and helped his parents, helped his mom. I literally actually met his mom because she was coming in to open up a business account mm -hmm. and we was just talking about football. She's like, oh, I got a son. I want you to really meet him. And literally one day when the bank was closed and I, the drive-thru was open, but I still had to stay there to lock up. We sat in there by for an hour, hour and a half, and it yeah. was just like, man, this dude is going to do. And I didn't know he was going to be an NFL player at that time, right. but I just followed him throughout his career. And then when it was time for him to make his agent decision, I was like, man, I've already built a strong relationship with this guy. You know, I'm going to give him a shot. Yeah. However, he was like, man, you know, you don't necessarily have the necessary experience. So that's where a partnership situation happened, and then I ended up doing a partnership. But my company still did a, like, a, it was a, my, it's called skin in the game, right? So mm -hmm. as an agent, and I'm not hoping I don't get too far ahead of myself. You're paying for the cost from the training. So the minute they declare from the NFL draft up until the NFL draft, you foot that whole bill. So, so what are some of the expenses? I mean, you're paying for spend? these um, great training facilities mm -hmm. that are going to cost you ten, twelve, fifteen thousand dollars. Like IMG Academy. IMG Academy is one. Um, Exos is one of the bigger ones. Um, there's one name. Uh, Performance Compound, ASPI, that's another one. Like, there's a number of different facilities. So, like, 15000 for the week? No, $15,000 throughout that. Oh, so, all right. So, so it's an eight-week process. So, so, so you, you, get, you get a client after football season is over, right? Mm -hmm. They commit to you. Mm -hmm. Now, they're your responsibility for, was it two months until the draft? No, it's a, so from January up until at that point, May was the draft. Okay, so, so five, for, months. For five months. For five months, you have to financially support them. Yes. You pay for their travel. Travel, stipend, housing. Rental car. Training. Re training. Food. And that's pretty much it for the most part. For some guys. Then there are guys that are going to get, you know, marketing and things of that nature. And some guys do marketing guarantees and marketing advances and things of that nature for guys. So it's a, it, that right now where our business stands right now in the agent business, a lot of kids say, hey, I got these three deals. Which one do I, hey, that's which one I'll go with. Some of the guys say, man, I'm going to go with this guy because I really have a connection with him. Those kids are, you know, those are the guys that I try to go after. So are the marketing so, deals traditionally for first rounders? Uh, it could be for first rounder. It could be for a receiver or a running back. If he's or, the top. Yeah, because they're going to get a trading card deal. They're going to maybe do some appearances depending okay. upon what school they go to. They may have some autograph signings and things of that nature. So you're advancing them the money on, the, on that. But that's the only thing basically you get back from that. And then basically once you – you know, once they get drafted, they pay you back. So it takes you some time to kind of get out of that hole. So, so all right, let me, let's just, because this is interesting. <laughs> so how, what's the average cost for, a, let's say, a first, second round draft pick? 
first, second round draft picks probably going to cost you an upwards of about a hundred, hundred thirty thousand dollars to forty thousand dollars, maybe per player. Per player, depending so, on who it is. Wow. But so, it all depends on how you do your model. So there are agencies out there now that don't only charge one percent, and they have a certain they pay. Hey, I'm only capping you at fifty grand, but they're also not making as much money on the contract. But they're also what they are is they're they're I'm not gonna mention they're a big agency that gets seven eight guys every year. So they're just trying to monopolize and kind of kill the young guy or the not young guy but the smaller agency that doesn't necessarily have the same bankroll. If that makes big sense. bank take a little bit. So <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so but the thing about it is that you're not, that, but I try to stress to the players like when that guy signs eight of you he's gonna do the same thing next year next year next year. Think about that just in three years. He's got 32 clients, and I'm sure they have a staff to be able to service you, but you're not going to be serviced by the guy that recruited you. All right, guys. So a lot of people ask us, how do they make a podcast? So I'm going to let you know on a secret. On the easiest, most productive way to start a podcast and get it up and running, and that is the app called Anchor. It's free. They have all kind of cool creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. They will distribute your podcast for you to all of the major outlets, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one simple, easy place. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Let's do it. All right. So, all right. So 150,000 for, let's say, a top player, right? Yes. From January to February. That's your, that's your responsibility to pay for yes. them, right? Now, you're hoping that he gets drafted highly, right? Yes. The agent's cut is... 3%, depending upon. At this point, the NFLPA has done something where they put standardized 1.5% for every single player. Now you can negotiate up to 3%. But some guys go to 1%. Some guys charge 0% on the first deal because they know they're not going to make any money and just do a loan on the guy. And then, so, like, it's everybody structures it differently. There's no standardized agent this player costs x this player costs b and in addition to that if a player is projected to go 10th and he goes 40th you know you're looking at, you're looking at the player like man he's losing a lot of money that agent's like man i'm never gonna see my money so, back. so when y'all when y'all in the green room during the well, you get, obviously you get invited to the draft if you're, you're most likely going to be a, a first round pick so i am in year six this is my first year in the green room but there are agents that have never really i was talking to a guy yesterday who's He's been in the business 18 years. Yeah. He's never had a guy drafted a higher than 50th. Okay. I've had guys drafted 55th and 38th this past year. So, yeah. I mean, I'm still ahead of the game. But, yeah, yeah this is my first year in the green room. Yeah. And I had a client that was projected to go top 15. Yeah. And he ended up falling to 38. I mean, he fell into a great position and a great situation. But, yeah, yeah it's going to take us a little bit of time to get the money back if that's invested in some so of the like, what, what are the emotions as you sit in that green room? Because I, I remember. It is. Aaron. I'm getting uncomfortable right now sitting <laughs> in my chair. It is the most uncomfortable. Because I think, like we were talking about before, like, as an agent, people think you're all powerful or you have these relationships yeah these might be my friends but i can't like i know one of the gms from, from a team in the nfc north for say yeah. and i'm like yo what's going on what's going on my dad you know he's sliding he said man i heard you know he's gonna go by by this time he didn't that didn't happen so like i'm texting people but they don't know what other teams are doing because it's the 32 teams that have 32 different draft boards mm-hmm. so i have talked to a number of teams that had him projected to go here but Things happen and the trickle-down effect. So what ha- ended up happening this year was Cleveland Farrell, who ended up going number four to the Oakland Raiders. Yeah, that was 
it had a tumble effect on everyone. Because he was projected in the top five. He was projected to go top 20, 25. Yeah. So that ended up having a tumble down effect. Yeah. And then they had a couple offensive linemen that didn't go until later. Um, we really thought that Cincinnati, Atlanta, we thought that those were our hot spots. Mm-hmm. Once those things started passing, I was like, man, whew, man, I know we talked to these teams <laughs> in the 20s. Let's see what they're talking about. I, I literally texting people from them, but it's like they're not going to give you any information because like, they don't want you to go to another team and say, hey, listen, I know this team is going to do that. Like, that's just how the business works. So yeah. as an agent, you are literally your most powerless during the agent process. So let me ask you this. Let's get back to the to money of it, right? Yeah. So how do you recoup that 150000 that you just spent? Over the course of the career of this player. So my client signed a four-year deal. It's four-year, $7 million. And over the course of that, I'll make the money back, and then you'll be broken but even are by you, three are you adding? All right, so let's say you have a 1% fee that you're charging the client, right? Yeah. Are you adding something additional into that, or are you just taking it out of the 1%? That's so your, you're just you giving an advance. If you're, if you're going If you're going to give 1%, if you're going to charge 1%, you're not going to give a major upfront outpouring depending upon who the player is. And there's also, like I said, $150,000 for players. It's based on players that are projected to go top 20, 21. Because 21 is when the fully guaranteed contracts. After that, everyone's contract is a little bit deeper down to un- unguaranteed. Mm-hmm. So he signed a four-year, $7 million deal with $4.5 million guaranteed. So we'll make our money back over the next couple of years of him getting paid. When he gets paid, we get paid. So, so let me ask you this. It's gambling. It's a gamble. <laughs> let me ask you this too, because so this happens, Reggie Bush. Yeah. You pay one hundred fifty thousand dollars for for a kid. The day before the draft, he changes his mind. That other agent or whoever hires him has to end up paying you your money back legally. It that's how it works. Yes. So we sign. In addition to the SRA, you sign a you sign you sign a standard representation agreement. You also sign addendums that entitle you to that money if you're fired. So the only way I would ever get this money back, because it's an investment, right? Like the guy, um, <coughs> Leo Collins. Leo Collins was supposed to be projected to go top 10. He ended up going undrafted. So literally, there's nothing his agent can do as far as returning, getting money back. He just has to play the game until it's a point where he's going to get his second contract, and then you make your money from there. So as an agent, you're kind of just sitting there waiting for your guy to get drafted, and based on they, where they get drafted is a draft slot, and that's where you determine how much money they make. You, you, said, you said something about uh, after 21, they're not guaranteed. I was under the impression that first-round picks are, are guaranteed. No, the first f- 21 draft picks have fully guaranteed contracts, okay. all for skill, yeah. cap, and injury. So what that means is that they cut you for skill, like you're just not good enough. If they cut you because you're, you know, you're injured or whatever the case may be, or if they cut you because your skill cap, you know, they have your cap casualty. So as a result of, hey, we need some cap room to pay, you know, Colin Kaepernick, right? Yeah. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. But yeah, shout out to Cap. So all right, let me. So let's 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 keep it real. How dirty is it? How dirty? Like, cause we see these movies, and we see we we had these scandals, people getting paid off. Can we talk about the dirty side of it? You don't sure. name I, any names, but I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not one to name any names. I'm not one. I'm going to talk to you guys just like I'm presenting to a young man who may ask me this question. At the end of the day, this is a very dirty game, and it's a situation where you're recruiting a kid, and you're trying to sign him for his first contract, up to his first contract. A lot of times, you have to go back and re-recruit your clients because you have guys that are sharks that have been out the business or been in the business for a while. They've done great contracts for these guys. It's like, hey, let me go pick a guy. Um, now it's the point where a lot of guys would. What agents are doing, what agents have done for years, is they pay current some of their current clients to go recruit for you. Recruit, hey, talk to your teammate. Is he unhappy with his agent? I'll give you something on the side. So it's it's dirty in the capacity, but it, the idea of it is is that it's agents fighting against agents. It's they're just trying to give out the better deal because you got to take consideration if you sign a guy 
on an SRA for, you know, when you first sign them and you put up that upfront investment. Maybe you sign a guy on a second contract, he already got him money. You may not necessarily have to give him any money in order to sign him. So, I mean, it gets dirty in that. So, case. like, players out of college, right, that yes. are, aren't supposed to be able to take anything, what are some of the things that they take? So, what now is, is probably popular in the um, agent business is that agents have gotten smart enough to not give money to players directly. Like, when I was saying I was investing a certain amount of money, that's once they're signed and they're yeah, exhausted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I'm talking about, like, in college. For sure, like, yeah. But now what they're doing is is that they use financial advisors or runners in a capacity to pay these guys and it's just like hey i'll give you a loan you know or i'm going to give this guy a loan or yeah pay this guy say say you're a top player and somebody say hey i'm giving fifty thousand dollars and then once he returns once he you know get comes out and signs with you you'll pay me back that kind of thing so it's because those guys aren't regulated by the nfl finance by the nfl pa we're regulated so if we do get caught doing something like that we could lose our license we could be barred there could be all types of things depending upon what state Alabama will throw you in jail. Like it's gonna be real. And that, that is Alabama for the past five years has been pretty much the NFL. <laughs> oh, in a lot of ways, the hot for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And but I mean, it's there. But you gotta also take consideration that some guys represent coaches. Mm. So I represent Nick Saban or this guy or that guy. Hey, you know that's a connection. But I mean, that's good business per se. Yeah. Because you have a referral process, but it's it's harding for a harder for a, a young agent or an agent like myself trying to kind of you know develop his business in that capacity and i mean i have like i said i have eight clients in the nfl currently and i'm you know continuing to try to build that business and things of that nature so it's like my mom asked me yesterday she's like well they're out here recruiting your guys or the second contract guys or why don't you go out there yeah. that's really just not my like i would i would sign a guy on a second contract if it comes from a referral but i'm not about to pay if i gotta pay you mm-hmm. in order to sign with me i gotta pay you to keep you like i'm not i'm not in the business of paying players i feel like i add I, my goal is to add value to these players lives and yeah. to help them and help them be successful men yeah. and them to realize the NFL is a business. Yeah, some things your money can't buy. Exactly. And the NFL is a business yeah. and these players are products. And once that product becomes effective, you are thrown away and shifted to the side. And these agents that are calling you right now, yeah. a lot of times you can't even get in touch with them. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because um, the NFL, you know, the average con- the average career is very short. Yeah. So my, thing, my question to you is, do you have aspirations of going to Major League Baseball or NBA? No, I... I have a player's heart, like I was saying. I wanted to be an NFL player. So this is my best job to live vicariously okay. through my clients. Um, and, and it's a situation where I want to see, like, it's bigger than me, right? Like, I want to see young black men do well. Mm-hmm. I want to see guys not fall into the same pitfalls that other guys fall in. I want to see guys that are successful at 50 years old that developed relationships while they were in the NFL, and now they're using them to become big, successful businesses. That's what I try to preach to my guys is about, you know, I told people what I want to do at 14. The earlier you know what you want to do, especially playing in the NFL, you have the best options to go in, be successful, and go. You know, if you're say you play for the Buffalo Bills or New York Giants, whatever the case may be, and you want to work in finance or you want to do this, there's not too many people that aren't going to call you back and at least have a meeting with you. Mm-hmm. Develop those relationships, build up that resume that says something other than punt, block, or tackle, and you know you can be a successful yeah. transition. I mean, the NFL, like I tell people all the time, it's a head start in life. It's not for long, right. NFL. Not for long. Not yeah. for long, that's a fact. All right, okay, so now we're going to the next segment, but before we do, I just have one, one quick question. So right now, you, first, you met your first client in the bank. 
But right now you're a, a seasoned agent where you're meeting clients every single. You're getting new players every single year. How do you recruit players now? Like, what's your process? So now I have relationships with scouts. So like, there's the structure. So everyone knows the NFL structure from the coaching side, right? So you know you got your head coach, you got your assistant coaches, receiver position coaches. You also have that in the scouting community. You have the general manager, you have the assistant GM, you have director of college scouting, you have scouts that go and scour the things. What now I've been able to do is develop relationships with those scouts. And they say, hey, listen, they'll go over their area with me and say, hey, listen, this kid is good. He's going to go here. He's projected here. You know, you should go after this guy. And that's how I kind of determine who I'm going to go after. And then, but how do you reach a player? Social media is key to success for a lot of guys. So you like sliding in DMs? Yeah, sliding DMs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I slide in DMs. Uh, I mean, re- they have reverse lookups. I mean, I've done things like you, you may have a mother on your bio, right, at the end. And it's like, hey, I can Google his mom. LinkedIn is always great. I can send an email to his mom, do things like that. Um, but I mean, it, 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 there's different ways. Nah, it's interesting. Reason I ask because these are things that people don't think about, right? Yeah. It's like it's, it sounds simple, like okay, but how do you? It's like how do you get in touch with a player? Yeah, you think outside the box, and you gotta realize most emails. It's the same thing with the bank thing and telling people I want to be an agent. I'm, I got way more no's than I got yes. But when I was able to get a meeting, I was like, all right, cool. At least I feel good about the meeting. You, you, do you show up at schools? No, I'm not one to go and bombard you and things of that nature. That's just not who I am. Um, I don't have that like. Uh, New York mentality, for lack of better words. I'm yeah, not a, you're not on I'm the sideline. Nah, nah, I'm not really that guy that's going to be like, yo, Clint, let me holler at you for a second. I need to do it some type of casual. And I want to have some type of relationship with someone next to you in order to build that relationship. Like maybe I meet an uncle or do something like that. Yeah. And those are typically how my clients have come through referrals or for a, situ- and for a situation where I've known someone that's connected to them. Um, or if it's like one of my scouts can be like, yo, like my guy, my guy sent me from a team. He was like, you need to get on Cody Ford. And Cody Ford was a client of mine this year. Yeah. We ended up getting drafted in the second round. He was like, man, he's going to be a really good player. And throughout the draft, like, like I was telling you, this is a very difficult time to watch your client fall through the draft. Yeah. But like, even afterward, I was getting texts from scouts like, don't worry, he fell into a great spot. You know, he's going to continue have a great career. Yeah. And it's just going to take a little bit of time, longer time, to make your money back as an agent. Um, and and as, a, as, a, you know, as an independent or a smaller agency, I mean, we're a mid-sized firm, but like, it's a little bit different on your bottom line than it is at a CAA or ma- some of the major agencies. When they get a guy that fell to those rounds, you know, they already had six other draft picks that got drafted in the first round. Yeah, so your value, like, was, I mean, you're not as important. Yeah, as no, 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 for sure. And But they sign six, seven, eight guys every year. Yeah. Um, so it's up to some. All right, cool. So now we're going to go into – the next level as far as taking the business to the next level, scaling, and different challenges that you face as as an African-American agent. All right, so you're an agent, right? We went through the process of what it takes to be an agent. We went through the process of, you know, being an agent. But there's challenges in the agent business, like all businesses, right? Yeah. So um, what, are, what are some of the challenges that you face as a young person, as an African-American male, right? Even though the sport is driven by african-american players and we've made strides in the agent business there's still the majority of agents are still white right yeah so it's still a flip like even on the ownership side yeah. on the yeah. management side all of that stuff yeah. where the players are black but the other side of the table is majority yeah, white for sure. right? so like they have they put the rooney rule in place for the owners but there's nothing in place for agencies or general managers or general managers right yeah so that's or owners yeah so no not at all so yeah that's it's it's there's some difficulties as far as being a black agent. I mean, like we were talking earlier, Rich Paul was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So LeBron and his effect, him being like, you know, the greatest player or, you know, one of the greatest players in basketball and kind of having his team around him being all black. 
I think that's helping us and changing the way people are thinking because, like, man, those black guys can do it. Too. Why can't you know give give a guy a shot? Um, and and agents have done pretty well, and there's some black guys that have done pretty well. Like Eugene Parker was one of the most well-respected agents. He recently a couple years ago he passed. Um, but I mean, there's been trailblazers in that capacity. But there are still players that want to sign with white agents because they see white general managers. And they see white scouts or white th- like so the scouting community we talked about earlier is, m- I would say, a good portion white. Um, so I mean they they understand that so they think white guys like to do business with white guys. But I mean we've we've, we've we have some agents that are doing pretty well. Um, like I said, I've had some couple draft picks. Um, got a guy who's coming up on a major second contract, uh, James Bradbury for the Panthers. So like I mean we're we're gonna be okay. Um, but it's going to take some time, and it's going to take more and more guys that are of stature to hire a black agent and be in front of that black agent. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I want to talk about that LeBron effect, if we could, just for a minute. So, LeBron, that's one of the things, we, even with you know Rich Paul and Maverick Carter and all of the stuff that he does with his team, how has that – I mean, we talked about it briefly, but do you feel the effect of like seeing a Rich Paul – if anybody's not familiar, Rich Paul is LeBron's agent. He's also uh, Anthony Davis's agent. Yeah, yeah. He's on the cover of Sports Illustrated today. Um, because they know that this is his summer. This is the most important. Yeah, he's on the covers. He's, he's on the covers. Sports summer. Illustrated because he's one of the most influential sports agents. Period, and definitely in basketball. Yeah. So to see a young young black man, I think he's like in his early thirties. Yep. Um, do you feel that help you as far as when you go talk to clients? Yeah, I think you know LeBron is well respected. So I think that you know him having a black agent helps him in the NBA side for sure. Um, the NFL side, I think. There are some black agents that have done pretty well for themselves, but I don't necessarily – everybody has a different criteria. So, you know, you just have to find the guys that are willing to accept the fact that you're black or, you know, and, and build off your resume. Um, and, and I think that my clients see me as a young black guy that's 32 and still hip and we still, you know, hip. <laughs> Please, God. <laughs> Needless to say, it still understands the hip-hop generation. Yeah. It understands, like, I'm still, we still listen to the same music. You know, I'm, you know, trying to get out of this uh, rat race of going after girl after girl, trying to, you know, take my thing to the next level. Um, you know, and, I, and, and it's a mentorship in that capacity, but it, I'm still out there. Like, I still understand what's going on with them. So, yeah, we can relate on a more personal level. Um, but a lot of times the biggest thing is like, hey, what's your, you know, criteria, what's, what criteria do you have set for the type of agent that you want to sign? You know, LeBron is obviously an icon. Um, I think he's one of the greatest businessmen that we, I, we've ever seen. I think he um, probably is the greatest. The greatest. I, I, I like Magic and him. And So I don't know that. So I heard something about LeBron. If he does a deal, he won't do a deal without taking equity in the company. And I think we all know yeah. how important equity in a Pay company is. Yeah, for sure. So, so like, obviously he plays in the NBA, so it's a lot more easy. It's easier to market him because you can see him. For sure. NFL tougher. Right, no so question. It, it's tough. But do you see a player out there now that potentially could have that type of LeBron effect where it's like, you know what, I'm going to give the 15% to the people I came up with, uh, whether is it like a Cam Newton or, or maybe an Antonio Brown or somebody that level? So there's, a, there's an agent um, that assigned two black quarterbacks back to or over just owning their back-to-back years. Deshaun Watson and Dwayne Haskins both have black quarterbacks. So it's going to have to be from the quarterback side. We okay. have to get to the quarterback they because the, the biggest they have the biggest contract. And they have the most face time. Mm-hmm. So what, I was, about, what about wide receivers like Odell Beckham? Odell Beckham has – no, he's not black. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, everybody has a His different – His agent. His not black. Jarvis Landry had a black agent, so has a black agent. So, I mean, there's a number of guys that definitely have – like, there are more guys out there that have black agents. Well, like, from a from – a, we were talking about this off-camera where the NFL is different from the NBA because – 
you know the average NBA player, right? Yeah. Like, even if you don't know sports, you have nothing to do with sports at all. Odds are, unless they're like a point guard like Cal Lowry, yeah. we're not even going to talk about what happened. <laughs> Game five. He got black, right? Man. I just knew he. I just knew he just janked. I, the thing about it, I knew it was hard to shoot behind the backboard. So I was just like, "There's no, who else could do it but yeah. Kyle Lowry." Shout, shout out to Kyle Lowry. Shout out to Toronto. No, I mean, I think we were talking about. No, no, no. Shout out to Toronto. Oh, but no, no, no. They clapped when uh, Katie got hurt. I don't like that. No, no, no. Yeah, that, you know, it's always gonna be a bad apple. Yeah, the match, but, yeah. It was we, a bunch of them. I heard them claps here yeah. in New York. Yeah, it was unfortunate. It was unfortunate. Now it's unfortunate. But we've seen Drake almost. Crying, so yeah, no, we, for we, sure. took it hard. I'm ready for, for that sure. good Drake sure. album. So, so, all right, so NBA players easy to spot, right? Because yes. they're tall, they're lanky, they look like they're different from every other person. Yeah, NFL players not so much, right? Mm-hmm. So you have ninety percent of the NFL, nobody knows who they are. Yes, they could just walk down Times Square sure. and not get recognized at all. Mm-hmm. It kind of leads to a couple of problems, right? A marketing, it's hard to market an NFL player because you don't know who he is. Absolutely, unless he's Tom Brady or Odell Beckham or something like that. Absolutely. I think also B, it leads to a lot of unnecessary spending. Like yes. you said, like a lot of these guys you see in the clubs and they order 100 bottles because now they're trying to draw attention on themselves. For sure. Where the NBA player, they might do it, they might not, but they don't, they're seven feet tall. They already yeah. know who they are. Absolutely. For sure. And then also, just from a failed standpoint of like doing, like you see, especially wide receivers, you see them doing like a lot of antics, right? Yeah. I feel like that's kind of like, they need to have attention, right? Okay. So what's your thoughts on that? So I think one and three are tied in together when it comes to receivers. So I have a cornerback who's probably one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, I would say. What's his name? His name is James Bradbury. He plays yeah. for the Panthers. Yep. He recruit, he, I mean, he literally guarded all the top guys. I mean, you got to take consideration. He three times a year, or six times a year, between six times he tried Mike, Mike Evans, Julio Jones, Mike Thomas, and does a really good job Tough against fans. all of them. Um, and so. and everyone talks about this game against Julio where Julio did the 224 yards. He got hurt within the second drive in that game. So that's why Julio went off. But needless to say, he is a calm, docile. Like he's not like me, 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 me. He's the opposite of Jalen Ramsey. And I respect Jalen Ramsey for what he's done because that's how a lot of guys have shown marketing they want to show themselves and that's why receivers chad otrosenko he did something today where he said he never spent any money of his nfl money he's only spent marketing dollars but the idea of it is, is that he had to put himself on in order to get those marketing dollars um so did he become a caricature a lot of people will say that but the idea of it is that he knew what he was doing and he was trying to you know build out his marketing side yeah. he had a plan um so with most nfl players i was listening to a stat by the nflpa 97 percent of marketing dollars go to the top 3% of the NFL. The NFL we all know, the Odell Beckhams, the Tom Brady's, the Patrick Mahomes, the you know DeAndre Hopkins, like A.J. Green, and not even so much like A.J. Green because yeah, he's like, in Cincinnati, yeah, Green, but like Julio Jones, yeah. like Mike yeah. Thomas, Mike Evans, like all the guys I'm talking about. But the thing about it is, is that they play, they, they're the top 3%. So the rest of the NFL is fighting over these last little 3%. So there's a lot of social media deals and things of that nature. So there's ways to make money from a marketing standpoint. But a lot of times what they've seen is, is that success comes with me, 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 me. And that's what the blueprint has been for guys to be successful marketing-wise. Deion Sanders, I love him to death, but he was definitely – but Deion Sanders had a plan. Like, he knew the biggest things with those guys that say me, me, me. Like Richard Sherman. I remember having a business – my business partner, we were having a conversation. After that game against Michael Crabtree, when he <laughs> yelled at him, mm-hmm. and he was like, man, I was like, he was like, that's the worst thing he could do. It's the worst thing, positive things, brand. I was like, no, Richard Sherman just became a star. And Richard Sherman went straight off. 
because he was in the camera. It was something to talk about. It was a ma major game. So that, everyone was talking he, about that. Is that is that who stole his gold chain? No, no Michael. That, that was a keep to leave. Yeah, they got a keep to is another one who's a great cornerback. Yeah. Doesn't get a whole lot of marketing, but the idea of it is, is that he's a quiet kind of cool. Like he just does his own thing. So yeah. that's but that's it's it's a me 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 type. It's like thing. the Mayweather philosophy. Exactly. Exactly. Controversy sells. Shock value sells. For sure. And you could be a great player, but if you don't really open your mouth, yeah, nobody cares. Absolutely, no one really cares about you unless you're out here doing that. But by the same token, if you do it, you've got to be able to back it up. Because yeah. if Richard Sherman wasn't built the right way and he wasn't about to have a great career, and he also didn't have like the foundation off the side of the like off the field and doing all the, all the other stuff he was doing, yeah. he knew like, okay, cool, I'm I'm confident in myself at this point. And then he was like, all right, cool. But if you jump out there too early. And it's like, oh, man, that's not going to work out well for you. So you just got to be confident in your abilities. But cornerbacks and receivers are typically the most confident individuals in the, in the yeah, room. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I think you used the term, uh, the rest of the guys, they have helmet syndrome. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, we were talking about the clubs and things like yeah. that. Like with the NFL, they want, you know, we all want to attract pretty women and we want to be seen. Yeah. So a lot of times what the, you'll find that NFL players or the baseball players or anybody else has the biggest chain and the most bottles. They spend the most money in the clubs because it's a situation where no one knows who they are. So it's like, oh, what's, we got so-and-so tonight. Like, it's like, you know, I, like they won the, the, the DJ black. Oh, someone's buying all them bottles and people look and it's like <laughs> the, that guy. But the idea of it is that it doesn't really make sense. And I try to get my clients away from it. And, you know, I try to put on seminars and stuff like that to yeah. help them to realize, like, you know, you're adequate without having to do all that. And that's fun at times. Yeah. But the question is, is that how do you balance that? And if you're doing that every single night, then there's a problem. So how yeah. do you feel, ever feel pressure? Your clients are rich. They're millionaires, right? No. That's where you get it wrong. My clients make um, about a million dollars. However, not all my clients make millions of dollars. So some guys, and that's another thing that Brandon was talking about that's hard, and I really empathize with players. They have the hardest locker room from a worker's experience because I'm 22, right? I could be undrafted free agent. I could be a baller. You could be the first-round pick. You're 22. You make hella money. But at the same time, they're competing on and off the field. So if he goes and buys a new building, I got a good like. That's the issue is that everyone thinks that they're millionaires because they play in the locker room. There's a bunch of guys that are millionaires. But on a 53-man roster, I think it's average from 17 to 18. Or 18 to 15 guys are millionaires, like guys making millions of dollars. Other guys are mostly on rookie deals or kind of the revolving door of the last 10. So out of 52 players, only 17 of them. 53. And it's depending upon the team. Some teams have more. But, I mean, I think I was told that 17 to 18 guys are, you know, making millions of dollars. No, are on major second contracts it, it depends what, what well, team let's, right? let's, like, go, yeah, let's, let's, let's go team. back to that that's interesting so out of 52 players seven, 53 53 players Sorry, 17 let's say roughly have million dollar contracts in, in above yes are making millions of dollars so like your stars so, your so the vast majority of NFL players aren't making millions of no dollars. they're making a couple hundred thousand dollars or if they're making a million dollars they're making just uh, just under a million or a million dollars it all depends on every team is a little differently and, this is and, then, and then their careers is very short careers are very short and most and it's not guaranteed contracts nope most guys don't get to second contracts the average career is three to four years mm -hmm. um, depending upon what position you play exactly um, quarterbacks typically stay a little longer the receivers some guys stay a little longer but you literally could go from like I mean not to call somebody out like Corey Coleman Corey Coleman was a first round draft pick a couple years ago for the Browns I think he's on his third or fourth team now and he's trying to make a roster and he's a situation where he's a receiver for the New York Giants but everyone knows Sterling Shepard and this guy you know what I'm saying so and the crazy part is that Sterling Shepard and Corey Coleman 
both came out the same year. So Corey Coleman was the first-round draft pick. Sterling was the second-round draft pick. Now Sterling's making way more money than Corey. Mm-hmm. But Corey got more upfront money. But he thought he was – and you have to live up to those expectations. So being an NFL player is a gift and a curse because everyone around you thinks you're making so much money. Yeah. So when you go back home, you like feel like you got a stunt for your family and, you know, you got cash app requests. Yeah, that, that's that, that 17 out of 53 is um, – yeah. I, I never thought of it like that. And I guess depending on – the financial structure of the, the team, it, would, yeah. it could be less, right? For sure. When, when you said that, I'm thinking about a team like the Patriots who um, are very, very stringent with their finances, right? For sure. Right? Tom Brady probably is the best player in the NFL, maybe in NFL history, but he's never been the highest paid player. No, but they say that Tom Brady gets a lot of off-the-field marketing dollars and he puts them... Like they, but that's due to his performance. Yeah, of course. Right? And so Robert like, Kraft cuts him in on deals. Like he, know, He's getting his money, but it's a situation that doesn't actually come from so the so under the table. Equity. Not necessarily under the table, but it's a situation where Jerry Jones takes care of a lot of his players. Like some of his former players is cut in on business deals. Okay. It's like, hey, I'll help you out with this. Like some owners are really, really good from an owner's perspective and helping these guys. And I think a lot of them, I think majority of them are that, that way for their stars. Mm-hmm. But not everybody's going to be a star. Right. And if you're a star too early, say you're a star your second year and then like you tear your Achilles your third year or, you know, or you're not the same player two years later. Yeah. You can literally go from being, you know, that's why it's like you got to stay humble and yeah. stay focused. And when you get that big contract, that's fine. But now you got to be able to put it away. And, and then you got these numbers that get blasted out. And a lot of times they're coming from my agents that want to say, hey, yo, I got this guy, this big deals. But when you come back and see the real deal, the numbers, they're not nearly as high. Um, it may be, hey, I can get him this all with escalators, but he's got to do X, Y, Z in order to de- get this number. So, but everyone comes and looks at you, and you become the target. So it's like, man, I'd love to be a guy that can make $20 million and sit in the corner and nobody know me. Yeah, we, got, we, we have to get you a quarterback. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. We, we got to get you a quarterback. Because I, I, this week, uh, Carson Wentz, when you said that if you have a great second year and maybe you get hurt and you get third, Carson Wentz, now – Granted, he, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player, but his team did win a Super Bowl without him. He just signed an extension for $140 million. Because this is a quarterback-driven league. You right. need a quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, your season's like, uh, we're going to continue to do what we have to do. Kyler Murray literally was like, dang, they had Josh Rosen for a year. They drafted Kyler Murray this year because yeah. it was like, hey, listen, we need to do this. We brought in this coach. He runs this offense better. So it's still a quarterback-driven league. Everything, every, Everyone knows like that the quarterback is the key to a successful year in, in, in most teams. The Baltimore right. Ravens, you know, they had Trent Duff when they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> they also had one of the best defenses in of the all Bears. Time. And, of all you know, time. Like the Bears that year, they went. They, they had um, Rex Grossman. Oh, I thought 85. You know, oh, yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah, but Rex I'm talking Rex about the, the, the other Bears. When the Bears, the Colts. The, yeah, when yeah, Lovey yeah. and all that kind of stuff. I'm yeah. trying to think about teams with, you know, no Back quarterbacks <laughs> being their stars. But, yeah, typically like that. Yeah, like I said, 18 guys um, or so. But those numbers change that depending upon teams. Some guys may have 22. Some guys may have 23. Mm-hmm. Um, but not all 53 guys are making a million dollars. They don't have enough money for in the salary cap. But, I mean, they do, but it does. it's not. It's a structured based on. So, in, in the uh, NBA, I know um, the collective bargaining. It's 50% of the revenue yeah. needs to be spent on the player salary. Yeah, it's what, not fifty fifty now at this point. So what, they're, what, they're, what is the NFLs? They're I think they're at forty five percent, and I think the the lead team is at fifty five percent. If I'm not mistaken, they're in the process of redoing this this new and CBA. That, yeah, because they they're saying that they might have a lockout. So I so that's one thing that I think that I don't know what's going to happen because the NFL like that lockout was ugly, and I think everybody took their lumps from that. Like even though they say the, the team the league won it and all that kind of stuff, but by the same token. What the issue was with that lockout was it just wasn't good for TV contracts. 
So now the NFL is coming up on all these TV contracts and they got to renew these things. And they're like, man, if you can't do that, then I need I need you guys to have be under CBA before we do this deal again. So I think the NFL is pressured to give the players a better deal yeah. because they're going to make a better deal on the back end with the yeah, team. The, the, the NBA did the, the the deal with TNT um, and ESPN was twenty four billion. Yeah, but the NFL is going to. But you got to realize the NFL is still king. I think. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking like if that's twenty four billion, the NFL. So the NFL, that, but it's interesting because the NFL is the most profitable league. Yeah. In professional sports, but out of the three major sports in America, the players get paid the least. Yep, but the players also get hurt the most. But by the same token, it's a situation where players' contracts need to be shorter. They need to be three-year guaranteed contracts because that's really what you get when you get a big deal like that. Mm -hmm. So everyone looks at like, hey, I look at guaranteed money and what you're getting your first three-year payout because that's really what is what you really have a good, great chance of making. So like if you're bumming your first, like say say we take a guy who signs a major contract and his first year he doesn't play as much well, second year he's just terrible. The third year's like, all right, man, we pay this guy 24, you know, $25 million, let's give him another chance. After that third year, they're willing to kind of watch. So they need to do more structured, fully guaranteed three-year contracts. But Kirk Cousins did that. Yeah, when you just said that, I'm thinking like, that sounds like Jameis Winston. Yeah, but I mean, it's, I, I don't like to say anything bad about players. And no, I, know he's I mean, a good like, because he's in a position of, like this guy's still young. Yeah, he's the Heisman Trophy winner. He's the number one overall pick. And he's a quarterback. And he's a quarterback. And it's like, what do we do? Because we watched <laughs> Fitzpatrick come in and light it up. Yeah. And now it's like, wait, should we even start this guy now? Yeah, you know but, what I mean? So they got some decisions to make. And now Fitz is down in Miami with Josh Rosen. Yeah. About to rain on his parade, potentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. But needless to say, it's going to be – I don't think the CBA is going to be – I hope I'm, – I'm, I think that they're making progress. And from what I hear from the agent community is that, you know, we probably will have a CBA before. It won't be the lockouts because that's another thing. Guys were taking lockout loans. Yeah, I was going to say before. So um, <laughs> Dame Dash's cousin – forgot his name. But um, Vince Young had sued him. You know, you know about this? I heard – I think I heard someone about it. So, yeah, so Vince – all right, so Dame Dash's cousin, he was a financier, some, something to do in, in, in finance, right? And he started a business during the last NFL lockout where he was loaning guys money. Mm -hmm. But he was loaning them money at like crazy interest. 50% interest, 45% crazy interest, right? So Vince Young ends up suing him. And long story short, like it all came into the media why he took the loan. He took a loan of like $300,000 to pay for his birthday party priorities, right? <laughs> Um, but it's just disturbing that a number one draft pick would have to take a loan. That means you're living paycheck to paycheck. And this is what I say all the time. It's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Athletes live paycheck to paycheck all the time. It's just that their paychecks might be $50,000. But And by the same token, they're getting paid over the course of four months. So they got to really stretch that throughout the rest. Of, they got to be more budget conscious than even teachers or like, you know, teachers get paid over nine months potentially. And they have that three months law or whatever. They have that four months. And other than like OTAs are making coming, and now they have the player performance, which they get a piece of that. But for the most part, that their ninety eight percent of their income is going to come from that base salary during the season. During the season, and it's getting added over seventeen weeks. You got to yeah. pay taxes, so you're living like a king when you're in season. There's a lot of broke NFL players that played last season right now. I'm sure because wow. it's just, but it's it's things like you said, like it's the financial education is not taught in the school. It's not taught. You know, when you get it, it's tried, they try to teach you when you get to the NFL. Yeah. But at that point in time, these guys have to literally sit back and look at men and say, listen, I may not live, I may, I'm going to live a lot longer than I play football. Yeah. And I try to tell my guys all the time, like, you could live like a king for a couple years while you're in the NFL, or you could live like a prince for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do to save your money. Like, I mean, you've always talking about 
you know, in real estate. And that's really, you know, where a lot of guys can go back and invest into their college towns and stuff like that. Those are the kind of things that you really want to start to get your money to work for you. Because right now, all you're doing is basically bringing all these checks in and spending. And, and some guys are scared to, you know, do investments or some things like that. But just get us a regular savings account and live off. Like, I always tell the guys, like, hey, listen, you're in, a, you're in an NFL city. Look at the average income. Live above the average. And you live a good life. Like, and a lot of the stuff during the season is paid for. And like, but they do have some, I mean, some other expenses, like, you know, if they get cut, they have to transport their car. Like, so they have some other outside expenses. And in addition to that, they sign leases and, you know, they try to sign leases that, you know, will let you out if you get cut or, and the teams try to do a lot, um, but they can always do more. But by the same token, at this point in time, it's starting, you know, you can't blame that person, blame this person. You got to take an incentive to say, man, I want to be successful. I want to have money when I leave the NFL. I don't want this to be the highlight of my life. I want this to be a stepping stone to something greater. My graduates from my school being Forbes, bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.